Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the Bermondsey Horror. But first, your true crime headlines. In Utah, police have identified a suspect who was arrested in connection with a woman's homicide 10 years ago. In November of 2010, 64-year-old Sherry Black was found stabbed and beaten to death in B&W Billiards and Books, a business she owned in South Salt Lake. Black was the mother-in-law of Greg Miller, the former CEO of the ownership company of the Utah Jazz NBA team. Police began using DNA technology in 2017 to help build a suspect profile in the case. The South Salt Lake Police Department headed the investigation until the Unified Police Department took over the case in 2018. According to a police booking affidavit on October 7th, DNA was collected from 29-year-old Adam Dorborough and submitted to the Utah Bureau of Forensic Services, and a match was found with DNA collected from the scene of Black's murder. Durborough was taken into custody at his home on Saturday on suspicion of aggravated murder and aggravated burglary. He is being held without bail. The suspect in a fatal stabbing in Providence, Rhode Island last month has been apprehended, apparently attempting to cross from California into Mexico, authorities say. 35-year-old Michael Dominic was wanted in connection with the fatal stabbing of 31-year-old Corey Vargas in Providence on September 24th. Vargas was brought to a city fire station in a private vehicle before being transported to the hospital where he died. On Saturday at about 2 a.m., Dominic approached the Border Patrol checkpoint on Interstate 8 near Pine Valley, California, in a gray 2015 Lexus, according to U.S. Border Patrol. When agents approached the vehicle, he sped away from the checkpoint. Agents used a tire deflation device to deflate at least one of the car's tires. The pursuit continued for 20 minutes until Dominic was finally taken into custody. Record checks revealed that the car that he was driving had been reported stolen, and the driver was wanted for murder. Dominic was then turned over to the U.S. Marshal Service. A son has been charged in the shooting death of his mother in her Mississippi home. Daryl Harper shot his mother after they argued early Saturday morning inside a Jackson home, police said. 59-year-old Mary Harper died shortly after the shooting. Police were called at about 1.30 a.m. Daryl Harper stayed at the home and waited for police. He was arrested when officers arrived and charged with murder. Mary Harper's death was the 98th homicide in Jackson so far in 2020. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the Bermondsey Horror. But first, a quick break. These are challenging times, and in difficult times, it can be difficult to cope. So if there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals and you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line and it's not self-help. BetterHelp is professional counseling 
done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. They have a broad range of expertise available and the service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Just visit their website and read the testimonials posted daily. Like this one, written by a BetterHelp user after two weeks of counseling with Bob Hennen. Therapy is scary when you haven't had any experience coming into this space. But Bob is a pro and makes you feel comfortable to engage. His timely responses and communication skills help getting into the sessions. Bob is thoughtful and full of ways to help with the struggles that stress and depression brings. Or this one, written by a BetterHelp user after counseling with Barbara Hendricks. Barbara is very knowledgeable and helpful. She has past work experience in areas that are helpful to use and pass on to clients. Very compassionate. I am glad I am able to work with her. Visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're now recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off their first month when they go to betterhelp.com slash murderminute. That's 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash murderminute. We talk a lot about physical health and mental health, but what about sexual health? Whether you hit the gym, take a walk, or meditate, if you want to take care of your whole self, you need to prioritize your pleasure along with your body and mind. Put your well-being first with Dipsy, Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions that are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. The stories are relatable and immersive, so that you feel like you're right there. And there's something for everyone, whoever and whatever you're into. Find stories about a spontaneous hookup with a hot stranger, getting closer to that sexy yoga instructor that you can't stop thinking about. Or even stories about trying that new toy together or getting tied up. Dipsy adds new content every week, so there's always more to explore. Spice things up today with Dipsy. For Murder Minute listeners, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com mm. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipseastories.com slash mm. What are you waiting for? Go to dipseastories.com slash mm. Welcome back to Murder Minute. 
Marie Manning was born Marie de Roux in Switzerland in 1821. As a teenager, she moved to England and entered into domestic service. At first a maid to Lady Polk of Halden House in Devon, Marie then entered the service of Lady Blantyre at Stafford House in 1846. Stafford House was one of the grandest homes in London, and it was during Marie's year of service there that she developed a taste for the finer things in life. It was also during her service that year that she met 50-year-old Patrick O'Connor. Marie was an attractive, intelligent, and charismatic young lady who had no shortage of admirers. Patrick was among them. When Marie accompanied Lady Blantyre on a trip to France, the two met. Patrick O'Connor was a wealthy man who had made his fortune through his money lending in the railway industry. He wanted to marry Marie and expressed an interest in courting her when he returned to London. But by the time he got back the next year, Marie was engaged to be married to someone else. Frederick George Manning, a publican with a troubled past. Frederick was two years older than Marie and had once worked as a guard for the railways, but was fired on suspicion of being involved in several thefts. But Frederick told Marie that he stood to inherit a fortune from his mother, and she accepted him. On May 27, 1847, they married at St. James's Church, and the couple moved into a comfortable, respectable home at Miniver Place in Bermondsey. It wasn't long before Marie realized that she had miscalculated. Frederick had lied to her about the inheritance, and he had a terrible drinking problem. To hedge her bets, Marie reconnected with Patrick O'Connor, who was keen to continue their friendship. Marie was formulating a new plan. She and Patrick began having an affair, seemingly right under the nose of her husband. Occasionally, Patrick even came to the Bermondsey house for a friendly dinner with Mr. and Mrs. Manning. In 1849, Marie decided that it was time to put her new plan into action. On August 8, 1849, Marie and her husband Frederick invited Patrick over for dinner. But an unexpected guest came along with him, Pierce Walsh. Her plan thwarted, Marie invited Patrick to return again the following night, this time alone. Patrick agreed, and on the evening of August 9th, he arrived again at the Manning home. Marie led him into the kitchen. In the middle of the floor was a large hole. The flagstones had been removed and the soil beneath had been dug up. Next to the hole stood Frederick. 
Marie shot Patrick O'Connor in the back of the head, and he fell forward into the hole. But the bullet from Marie's small revolver that she'd recently purchased didn't quite do the job. Patrick was still alive. Frederick finished the job by beating Patrick's head in with a crowbar. Frederick had known about the affair all along and had planned the murder together with Marie. Mr. and Mrs. Manning covered the body in quicklime to speed its decomposition. They buried the body in the soil and returned the flagstones back to their original positions in the kitchen floor. The next morning, before anyone could notice that he was missing, Marie Manning quickly set about the next phase of their plan. She went to Patrick O'Connor's lodgings off Mile End Road in East London and looted his cash, his railway share certificates, and any other valuables she could find. Three days after the murder, Patrick O'Connor's work colleagues began to worry, so they paid the Mannings a visit in Bermondsey and asked Marie if they had seen him. She said that they hadn't, but Patrick told them that he had planned to come there for dinner on the 9th, they explained, and no one had seen him since. Marie claimed that while she and her husband had invited him, Patrick O'Connor never showed up. They seemed to accept this explanation and went on their way. But Marie flew into a panic. She knew that it wouldn't be long before the police came knocking. Frederick and Marie turned on each other. Marie fled to Scotland with most of the money. Realizing that he had been double-crossed, Frederick sold the furniture in their home and left for the island of Jersey. Patrick O'Connor's friends reported him missing, and it wasn't long before the Metropolitan Police arrived at the Manning home at Miniver Place in Bermondsey. On August 17th, they knocked on the door. There was no answer. When they entered the home, they found it abandoned. It was clear that the couple were on the run. As the police searched the home, one officer noticed a damp and loose cornerstone on the kitchen floor around which the mortar was wet and the earth was soft. The flagstone was removed, and there, under the Manning's kitchen floor, police dug up the body of Patrick O'Connor. The press dubbed the gruesome murder the Bermondsey Horror, and a manhunt ensued in search of Mr. and Mrs. Manning. A cab driver told police that he had driven Marie to King's Cross Station. Inquiries at the station revealed that Marie had boarded a train bound for Edinburgh, Scotland. The Metropolitan Police made use of the latest technology, the telegraph, 
to alert police in Edinburgh, and Marie was swiftly tracked down. She was arrested in a fancy hotel after she was spotted trying to sell some of Patrick O'Connor's railway shares. A week later, police got word that Frederick was spotted boarding a boat to the island of Jersey by a former acquaintance who had read about the murder in the papers. Frederick Manning's whereabouts were telegraphed back to police in London, who arranged for his arrest. When local authorities burst into his room on August 21st, Frederick was passed out drunk in bed. As he was being apprehended, Frederick, groggy from brandy and half asleep, confessed to the murder. I never liked him, he told police, so I battered his head with a ripping chisel. By August 23rd, Marie and Frederick were both back in London, sitting in the same prison, awaiting their trial at the Old Bailey. And on Thursday, October 25th, it began. Over the course of their two-day trial, both of their lawyers attempted to pin the blame on the other's client. Marie's defense accused her husband of murdering Patrick O'Connor in a fit of jealousy. Frederick's defense claimed that Marie was the true mastermind who had manipulated Frederick into carrying out her plan for the money. On Friday, October 26th, the jury deliberated. Forty-five minutes later, they returned their verdict. They found both guilty. Marie yelled at the jury, You have treated me like a wild beast of the forest. She continued to hurl insults and argue as the judge passed their sentence. Death by hanging. Mr. and Mrs. Manning were taken across London to Horsemonger Lane to await their executions. While imprisoned there, Marie reportedly asked the wardens how they liked her performance in court. On the morning of November 13, 1849, Frederick and Marie were taken to a chapel together before their executions. The Times newspaper reported their final moments. Quote, At a quarter past eight, Manning and his wife entered the prison chapel. The sacrament was administered to them when the governor appeared and said that time pressed. The wretched pair were conducted to different parts of the chapel to be pinioned. The operation was performed on the male prisoner first, and he submitted to it with perfect resignation. In the pinioning of Mrs. Manning, a longer time was occupied. When the cords were applied to bind her arms, her great natural strength forsook her for a moment, and she was nearly fainting. But a little brandy brought her round again, and she was pinioned, without any resistance. She drew from her pocket a black silk handkerchief, and requested that she might be blindfolded with it, a request that was acceded to. 
having had a black lace veil fastened over her head so as to completely conceal her features from the public gaze, she was conducted to the extremity of the chapel where the fatal procession was at once formed, and in a slow and solemn manner moved forwards, forwards the drop. The prison bell tolling. The procession passed along a succession of narrow passages, fenced in with ponderous gates. In its course, a singular coincidence happened. The Mannings walked over their own graves, as they had made their victim do over his. Mrs. Manning walked to her doom with a firm, unfaltering step. Being blindfolded, she was led along by Mr. Harris, the surgeon. She wore a handsome black satin gown. Marie's choice of dress material on the scaffold would later be mythologized as the reason that it fell out of fashion. She was later dubbed the woman who murdered black satin, though historians believe that this is most likely an urban legend. The Mannings were the first married couple to be executed together since 1700, and over 300,000 spectators came to witness the couple's demise, including the world-famous author Charles Dickens. According to some witnesses, just before the nooses were tightened around their necks, Marie leaned over to her husband and gave him a brief kiss as the crowd shouted and jeered at them. A ballad was printed and distributed throughout the crowd to mark the occasion. See the scaffold it is mounted, and the doomed ones do appear, seemingly born wane with sorrow, grief and anguish, care and pain. They cried, the moment is approaching, when we together must leave this life and no one had the least compassion on Frederick Manning and his wife. Maria Manning came from Sweden, brought up respectable we hear, and Frederick Manning came from Taunton, in the county of Somersetshire. Maria lived with noble ladies in ease and splendor and delight, but on one sad and fateful morning she was made Frederick Manning's wife. She was first courted by O'Connor, who was a lover most sincere. He was possessed of wealth and riches and loved Maria Rue most dear. But she preferred her present husband and it appeared and with delight slighted Sir Patrick O'Connor and was made Frederick Manning's wife. And when O'Connor knew the story down his cheeks rolled floods of tears he beat his breast and wept in sorrow, wrung his hands and tore his hair. Marie, dear, how could you leave me? Wretched you have made my life. Tell me why did you deceive me for to be Frederick Manning's wife? Though married yet, she corresponded. With O'Connor all was right. And oft he went to see Maria, Frederick Manning's lawful wife. At length they planned their friend to murder, and for his company did crave. The dreadful weapons they prepared, and in the kitchen 
dug his grave. And as they fondly did caress him, they slew him with a dreadful sight. First they mangled, after robbed him, Frederick Manning and his wife. They absconded but was apprehended, and for the cruel deed was tried. When placed at the bar at Newgate, they both the crime strongly denied. At length the jury them convicted, and doomed them for to leave this life. The judge pronounced the awful sentence on Frederick Manning and his wife. Return, he said, to whence they brought you, from thence unto the fatal tree, and then together be suspended, where multitudes your fate may see. Your hours recollect is numbered. You betrayed a friend and took his life. For such there is not one spark of pity as Frederick Manning and his wife. See what numbers are approaching to Horsemonger's fatal tree. Full of bloom in health and vigor, what a dreadful sight to see. Old and young, pray take a warning, females lead a virtuous life. Think upon that fatal morning, Frederick Manning and his wife. Every available space was filled with spectators, and between 500 and 1,000 police were needed to control the crowd. The crowd were so loud and disrespectful throughout the execution that it moved Charles Dickens to campaign vigorously for the ban of public executions. He wrote a letter to the Times to express his disgust at what he saw. I was a witness of the execution at Horsemonger Lane this morning, he wrote. I believe that a sight so inconceivably awful as the wickedness and levity of the immense crowd collected at the execution this morning could be imagined by no man and could be presented in no heathen land under the sun. The horrors of the gibbet and of the crime which brought the wretched murderers to it faded in my mind before the atrocious bearing looks and language of the assembled spectators. Charles Dickens would get his wish in 1868 when public executions were abolished. He would go on to base one of his most famous characters, Lady Dedlock's French maid, Mademoiselle Hortense, in Bleak House, on Marie Manning. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.